Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to introduce my next guest. He is very well known in the cybersecurity space. Please welcome Dustin Sachs, who is the Senior Manager and Information, Information Security Risk Management Senior Manager for the Worldview Services Company. Dustin Sachs, everybody. Whoop, whoop. Thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah, thanks for joining on the pod. And, you know, uh, before we get into your career, you've been in cybersecurity for a while. Um, and, you know, where did it where did it all start for you as far as, you know, your path into cyber and information systems? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, my path uh, kind of started as a kid uh, back in the VCR days, taking apart VCRs, taking apart <laughs> calculator, taking apart things, um, not for any real purpose and not to fix them, but just to see what was inside and then try to put them back together. And, you know, I, I definitely had one experience. I took a part of VCR that uh, was in our house and uh, like most people failed to put back all of the pieces. <laughs> uh, so my mom was not too happy. Um, <laughs> fortunately, it was, it, 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 it was at a time when you could get VCRs pretty cheap. So uh, it was a nice, easy replacement. But uh, yeah, some of my allowance money definitely went to replacing that. So, uh, but you know, my, my actual career, I started out, I, I had focused originally and in, in coming out of college uh, was very heavily focused on law. I attended a year of law school in South Florida and, you know, was really passionate about the intersection of computers and law, but not passionate enough to spend the amount of money and the amount of time that it was going to take beyond my first year to actually uh, pursue law, the a legal career. So, uh, this was at a time when I was very fortunate because the about the same time my dad, who is a forensic accountant, um, who was based in Miami at the time, had just interviewed somebody who was talking about the fact that computer forensics was this thing that they were starting to hire at the big four accounting firms and actually the big five accounting firms, if you include where I started out, uh, Grant Thornton. But, um, you know, I, I, I was something that he thought I'd do real well at. At the time, there were four programs, graduate level programs in the country uh, for computer forensics. One of them happened to be at the University of Central Florida. Um, so against my better judgment, having graduated from the University of South Florida in Tampa, which is UCF's arch rival, um, I went to UCF, uh, didn't tell a whole lot of my friends that I was doing it, uh, used it more as an opportunity to uh, learn my craft and really uh, learn the, the inner workings of computer science and computer um, and investigations and did that worked through incident, you know, into the incident response world, and then ultimately took my knowledge and my technical skills and really went into the, um, in, into more of the consulting side of information security. And that's really where I started getting involved in the governance risk and compliance side of things. And then, you know, after a number of years, you know, over a decade in 
consulting decided that I really wanted to go inside of organizations and be able to help from the inside. Because as a consultant, it's very frustrating when you spend hours and hours telling a client, telling a, uh, a customer, you know, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this uh, to fix your environment, but not being able to actually affect any change. So coming in in-house was was a experience that allowed me to do that. Yeah, I love that. And you hit on something early um, when I was, you were uh, taking apart those VCRs, uh, which I think has carried over into your professional career is curiosity. And I think anybody in cybersecurity or information systems has to be curious, right? I think, um, and, and wanting to solve problems, it's a important trait to have, especially in the industry, right? Yeah. I mean, beyond just the curiosity that says, I want to know how this works, you know, I'm very fortunate right now that, that, the, the chief information security officer, the CISO that I work for, uh, Sean Bowen, really fosters a, a sense of constant learning in his staff. And, you know, he's, he's, always, he's always saying, you know, he, he will always tell us, you know, in, in most things, you, you, you have to kind of constantly be learning. Maybe you learn something new once, once a year. You know, and in, in, in certain other things, you're going to learn, you know, you're going to learn something, you know, maybe every, maybe once a week, maybe once a month, maybe once a day. But in cybersecurity, especially, we have to be learning something almost every hour, every minute of every day, because, you know, one of the things that, that I've, I've come across in my career, but also have, you know, seen and heard anecdotally from others, you know, but our attackers, our attackers only have to be right once. We have to be right every single time. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. And, and you talk about that. And I mean, cybersecurity is, is such a, a broad industry. There's, there's so many layers to it. Um, I mean, how, ha- how has it changed? Um, you know, you have your, obviously your, your hackers and your red team, blue team kind of thing. What has changed or evolved over time since you first got into the industry? Well, I, you know, I think beyond, beyond the, you know, going from desktop computers and towers and mainframes to, you know, more portable, portable devices, you know, laptops that, that don't, don't take up a whole lot of space, mobile mm-hmm. devices that fit, you know, fit in your pocket, you know, I, I, I look back and realize that when I started out in my career, the iPhone hadn't been released yet. <laughs> the iPhone was still a couple of years away from being released. Computer forensics as a discipline had only been defined by the FBI, you know, four years prior. So, you know, it, 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 it has come a long way. We're now, I mean, I think over the last, especially over the last, you know, two and a half years now, we've gone you know, we were always trending towards the cloud, but we've gone to the cloud and to remote work and to a new set of challenges in a way and at a, at a speed that I don't think anybody anticipated because we had to. I mean, we 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 all went to bed on you know, and and it's really int- what's really interesting to me. I talk about this a lot with my 
my colleagues, but also with uh, my other my uh, classmates and um, others that that in the industry. But it's fascinating to me is that we have very much a date certain when the world of technology and cybersecurity changed. You know, we all we all left work on March twelfth of twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. Um, thinking we were coming into the office the next day or that we were going to be working from home. You know, those of us who maybe knew that we were going to be working from home thought we were going to be working from home for a week or two. You know, this, 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 this pesky kind of germs disease thing is, is, is going to, you know, it's going to inconvenience us for a week or two. We'll work from home for a week or two. Then we'll all be back in the office. Two and a half years later, I haven't stepped foot in an office as a, in, in a full-time capacity uh, and don't anticipate that I ever will. Um, we've become a more mobile society when we woke up on, you know, March, March 13th of 2020. And there are only, you know, there, there are a handful of these kind of watershed moments and date certains um, that have occurred, um, you know, some, some more, um, notable than others, um, some related to cyber, some not. But, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me how much the world shifted literally overnight. Yeah, for sure. And I love that. And I think what's important to note is we had the technology. I think the technology has been there, um, you know, working from home and things like that. I think what's important and especially in cybersecurity and it, whether it's whether you in cybersecurity or you just your owner of a business is that security layer and knowing if somebody's at home is secure but how do you know that and how do you i mean obviously if you're at a home you would hope that they either have a a network that's secure and they're not just you know there's unsecure networks but how can you manage that? Is there a way to, and what's the best way to kind of measure that? Yeah, no, that's, that's, I agree with you. We definitely had the technology before March of 2020. I think we did where, where we, where we struggled and, you know, we saw this, we saw this even, you know, I, I think the, the, the most notable time prior to that was, you know, in, in 2001, but, we never, we, we didn't have, we had the technology, but we didn't have the processes in place. We hadn't prepared, we, we hadn't contemplated or taken the steps to prepare for such a mass, massive shift. Now, we certainly responded, I think, as an industry and as a society in a way that we probably would not have been able to respond 20 years prior but that being said, you know, we certainly had some things that I think we didn't realize. I think we, we, we became more dependent on the average user understanding the dangers and the risks that were posed from things like Starbucks Wi-Fi, public Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. uh, my home network where, you know, my, my, where my father-in-law hasn't changed his, you know, or, or the network where my father-in-law hasn't changed the password that's written on the back of the, um, 
the yes. router, you know, yes. or the one that's given to him by 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 uh, Comcast. You know, we're <laughs> dealing with we're dealing with those types of questions, and I think it's you know I think it's really really kind of timely and fortunate that you and I are talking in the month of October, being National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and the theme this year being seeing see yourself in cyber. I think one of the things that we've gotten out of the pandemic is people now understand the risks at a level at a at a better level from a layperson standpoint than they than they did prior to the pandemic because most of the people who were, you know were not technically savvy had to become technically savvy overnight mm -hmm. because you didn't have it you don't have an office in in-home tech support to help you when you've got a problem like you did when you were in the office and you could go down the hall to somebody now i mean unless you've got a, unless you've got a, a a child under the age of you know 25 you're not going to get tech support uh, without having to learn how to do it yourself. Um, so I think that was, I, I think that that's part of it for a lot of people. Um, and I think that that's something that, that has really been exciting to see. I think as well, um, you know, to your question is, I think the most important thing is just to understand the try to understand the risks, but also to separate the risks from, you know, from, from what we term as FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You know, you turn on the news, you turn on, you know, mm -hmm. you pick up, go on the internet and look, and you see about, you know, Russian cyber attackers and Russian uh, cyber criminals. And then you see the Chinese and you see, you know, Huawei and you see, TikTok and you see, you know, all of these different, different things, you know, Uber and all of those that are out there. And it's hard, it's, it's real easy to think that this is, this is a problem that no one can really get a handle on. And the reality is with, with some very, you know, kind of almost basic critical thinking and thought process, you can actually do a lot yourself. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've been given as a result of cloud computing and, and more distributed computing technology, we've been, we consumers, the average consumer have been given a lot more control over our digital lives. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's huge. Um, and I mean, you mentioned the simple things, uh, make it simple. I mean, even spam emails. I think we've all been through those fun videos where it's like, oh, what's the guy going to do? With their, what are they going to do this time? Um, and it's like those simple, even though they're funny, some some may not be as funny as others, but you think about it, it is come down to some of the attacks or some of the things are things that can be preventative. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I hate to, uh, I hate to do it, but it's so timely that, it, that I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't, but 
you know, the recent Uber attack, the, the, the biggest, most important thing is to go, is to stop for a moment when you get a, a barrage of MFA requests on your phone and go, have I actually been, did I actually do something or use a system that would have requested this? Like, am I the one who actually requested this? And hey, wait, this guy's telling me on WhatsApp that he's with IT and I need to click the link or else. Yep. I mean, that's huge. And you mentioned it like I, a common one, too, is if you get an email from executives and it's like urgent. <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you bring that one up because like ju just two weeks ago, I got a text message on my phone from, you know, my company, the company I work for is based in Miami. I get mm -hmm. a, I live in Houston, Texas. I get a text message that when I looked at it at first, it, you know, it looked really, it, it was really well put together. It was, Hey, Dustin, you know, I'm, I'm in a conference right now. Can you let me know, uh, you know, I can't talk, but can you let me know that you received this text message? Thanks. And then, in, and then it was this, my CEO's name. Mm -hmm. Well, it'd be very easy for me to, to not analyze that and go, oh my God, the CEO just sent me a message. You know, he must, you know, he must need something. Now it was fortunate that at that same time, uh, or I say it was fortunate, but it was, it was coincidental that at that same time, my boss was in Europe. So, you know, he's six, seven hours ahead of time. So, you know, it, it, is it possible that the, CEO, that the CEO of the company is reaching out to me for a legitimate reason? Okay, maybe, probably <laughs> not. Um, but, you know, it, all it took was a couple of simple things like looking at the phone number it came from and realizing it was a Houston area code and going that's weird because mm -hmm. he's based in Miami. And second of all, as I was t talking with my boss about this the other day is, you know, I've spoken zero words to the CEO of the company since I started seven months ago. Um, my first interaction with him is not going to be via text message. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> I know, you know, right? I just, I mean, the biggest thing is making sure that when you look at something, when you look at an email and you get these emails that you're going, Hey, does this make sense? Do I have an account with these people? Like, mm -hmm. Do I even do business with these? And, and, you know, to go back to an earlier point you made, I think there's, there are, I think it's incumbent on everybody cyber cyber or otherwise Everybody, everybody these days, or, or majority of people these days, use a web-based email account. They or have been using a web-based email account for twenty years. You know, so so you've been using cloud computing for you know, unbeknownst to you, maybe to yourself. But a lot of the most of these tools, Gmail. Uh, Microsoft, others have technologies and have capabilities within them that can make your life a little easier. Um, the one that I, the one that I always go back to and think of right off the bat is plus accounts and adding plus whatever to the end of your your email address as an email alias. 
And I would encourage anybody listening who isn't using plus accounts, plus aliases within your email to do a quick Google search on that because um, it's a really, really nice capability so that when there's an incident, first of all, you'll know um, where, where that email address, you know, where you used that email address, um, you know, and also it just makes kind of getting emails a little easier because when you look at it, you can go, oh, okay, so this is from, this is from Amazon or, Hey, I signed up with a plus account and this doesn't have the plus in it. So maybe it's probably not mine. Yeah. And that's interesting. You mentioned that. Uh, I think, I mean, emails, uh, we use them every day. I think they're so important to everyday communication. I mean, and, and a lot of times they either have our name. Obviously, it's going to have to have the work in there. But we usually have our name in some form of the email. Do you think that that's kind of getting outdated or kind of simplistic as the way we email or we format our emailing? Well, I think the ch- the biggest challenge or the biggest the biggest thing. First of all, I I have to give a lot of credit and a lot of props to the I, the email and digital kind of presence teams at any organization and especially <laughs> at my organization because <laughs> the amount of times that they deal with somebody gets locked out of their email or they need oh, a password yes. <laughs> reset or something or email is down. I'm having trouble and I can't conduct business. These guys are, these guys and gals are the you know, are unsung heroes of modern corporate day America with the number of emails that get sent out on a given day. Of you course. know, one of the things, one of the things that for me as both, uh, you know, just a techie and a, and, and, a, and a, you know, student of the industry and somebody who has towed the, lo- the, the very thin line between good and evil uh, in, in the cyber world. Um, I think the, 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 I think that we make it, we sometimes make email attacks too easy for the attackers to conduct. Um, and, and, and the, the example I'll give is if I know, if I have access or I'm able to find somewhere on the internet using an open Google, a simple Google search, excuse me, a simple Google, if I can use a simple Google search and find one email address for one person at an, at an organization, it does not matter how big or how small that organization is. I now have the format to create Mm -hmm. a, list of potential emails or all I've got to do is find, go on LinkedIn now, search the list of names of people who work at that organization, use the email format for that one person that I now know. And I mean, I'm probably not going to get a hundred percent because you'll have, you know, somebody who's, you know, BW, BW Joe Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, B Joe or, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm going to get, I'm going to get 95% of the way there, if not more. I, 
but at the same time, I, I recognize, and the reason I, I call out the, I, the email teams at organizations is I don't think it's tenable to expect them to vary the, you know, naming conventions for, for email addresses. Uh, it's, it's, it's harder. It, it becomes a more manual process. It's, mm-hmm. it's harder for them to, for, for organizations to create onboarding protocols and onboarding scripts um and you know having having hired people myself and having gone through the onboarding process myself you know it's important it's important that that process goes smoothly stressful enough under the best of circumstances adding extra work not being able to give somebody (laughs) access to their email on the first day having to try to figure out you know what what is the email format the the name format that i need to type in for this person is is a nightmare plus it just opens up the opportunity that you could have a situation where you know adam v gets emailed and there are seven adam v's uh, at the organization (laughs) um and the the one that you were trying to get to isn't the right one and you know if if you've got a situation where you've got you know four William Smiths at the organization and one is W Smith and the next one is William Smith and the next one is William (laughs) Dot Smith. And then you say, well, and then this one's going to be Bill Smith. You're going to have crossover where the wrong person's going to get the wrong email. And, you know, so I think that consistency is needed. And I think that, you know, you have to, you're going to have to have that because, our, you know, our teams are taxed enough as is, and I'd rather my, I'd rather the teams, the teams handling email on in my organization, are focusing on things like making sure that spoofing is not taking place, mm-hmm. and um, making sure that that our that our you know our SPF record our SPF records are correct. Then I do um, whether or not they formatted the email using a specific formula of course of course and that that totally makes sense and we want to be proactive instead of reactive so uh talk about that and how important is it to have individuals who work internally for the organization that are you know hacking the system and also, not only hacking it, but you have a team that can hack it, and then you have your preventative team uh, that you know goes and making sure that what def- what barriers are put up work. So, how is it important to have both sides of that equation? Well, I'll start off again by by by, by trumpeting the fact that I would say that our our information security operations team at world field services and uh, who which is led by a gentleman by the name of brad hutchins is probably one of the most one of the top notch um cyber information security operations teams that i've ever worked (laughs) with um and i and i don't say that flippantly and i know that there are going to be people who i've worked with previously who are going (laughs) to listen to this that are going to send me nasty grams (laughs) <laughs> just accept it. It's the truth. 
they're they're the flavor of the month but they're also i i mean every word of word of what i say they are they're top notch i you know i think what's really interesting about the question that you that you asked is you know we've seen a progression over the last even five years where organizations now are starting to understand the value of proactive you know when i was in consulting and i've been out of consulting now for about five years but when I, when, I, when I was in the consulting side of information security, we would, we, would, we would routinely espouse the value of pro, being proactive. And many organizations, you know, in the, in the late, late uh, you know, teens, late teens, even in the, you know, early, early, uh, um, you know, tens of two of 2000 um would say would, would continue to say well we'll just wait you know we don't think we're going to be a victim you know <laughs> we're not we're not going to we're not you know we'll we'd rather just deal with spending the money to react when we when is net when it's necessary and you still see that but you don't see that nearly as much anymore i think mm-hmm. you know with with Things with with attacks like solar winds, I think with attacks like ransomware, I think with the the the, the frequency and tenor with which we see attacks at this point, um, organizations are truly beginning to re- realize the adage that we in the industry have been saying for years, which is it's not a matter of if you're going to get hit, it's a matter of when. Um, and I think organizations are starting to accept that and they're starting to get more proactive. I think, you know, I can't, I can't understate the value of regular uh, red team, purple team testing. Um, if you're, if you're providing or, you know, selling a, a software tool, having a bug bounty program of some sort, or at least having a, a an ability to report bugs um, and, and, and allow, you know, allow for crowdsourcing of security from your users uh, has a lot of merit and it has a lot of value. Certainly you don't want to be putting your bug bounty reports somewhere that an attacker can get to them and download them. But um you know, you having these reports and having this technology available, to, or there are these these techniques available to you is important. We do, I mean, we do quarterly, we do quarterly um, color team testing, purple team or red team testings, um, because we see the value in it. It's important for us to understand it from a standpoint of how can we make ourselves better and how can we make ourselves more secure. But it's also understanding what are what are the likely attack vectors, because you know you might hear that you know there's a, a new zero day out from Microsoft, but what's the likelihood in your organization that that's actually going to be a big deal, you know? Um, and I think it also these these color team tests, as 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 I refer to them, also can be very beneficial from a leadership standpoint in showing the value of, of what might otherwise seem like a, um, might otherwise seem like a very uh, tricky or very uh, low, low return on investment 
process. The example I'll give you, you know, we've undertaken, um, as a, a lot of organizations have, um, to, to implement better CIS benchmarking of our, of our uh, using, leveraging CIS benchmarks to harden our systems. And, you know, we, we, have, we have been able to see through certain, uh, you know, capabilities and certain things that we've done, a marked difference between uh, a system that's got the benchmarks on it and a system that doesn't. And that makes it really tangible and really easy to then turn around and say, this is why we need to be doing this, because it does have a measurable effect on security. Yeah, for sure. You talk about that different testing and having measured results. Um, what type of system or um, do you guys utilize like any training platforms internally or do you guys use like a third party training platform to help with the security team? Uh, what do you guys use for that? That's a really great question. So I'm again, I'm, I'm going to go back to um, I work for a really phenomenal leader who is really very passionate about training and education. Um, you know, he has a, a mantra that he, he tells us, you know, you give me two and a half hours of your time and I'll give you two and a half hours a, a week of work time for you to be able to do training. Um, he's very supportive of, you know, free and and, and uh, virtually accessible training um, and, and, and attending these and leveraging them. Um, things like Microsoft Ignite that just uh, that's going on right now or the SANS summits that go mm -hmm. on a regular basis that are freely available to anybody with an account and are usually archived in case you missed them so that you can go back or in case you want to go back and re-listen re, re to them. We also leverage, you know, commercially available tools. We leverage, um, you know, internal training tools. Um, we, we also, one of the things that I think we've done real well at World Fuel and that we continue to do really well is to, to make the training fun and help to gamify it a bit. Um, this past summer, this past summer, we conducted, uh, you know, at the direction of uh, and, and under the kind of guidance of our, our, our CISO, a, uh, a security kind of skills challenge using one of our platforms um, nice. where we made it a contest. And it was who could score the highest score on, an, on a very much of an adaptive training set of training modules. You know, so it's five modules that gave you adaptive tests so that it varied depending, you know, no person and no instance was ever the same, but, you know, we got a lot of, we got a lot of impact from that, you know, for national cybersecurity awareness month, you know, we were, we were fortunate that again, the CIS, our, our CISO was supportive of conducting a, um, a, a link, uh, you know, a, a, a LinkedIn learning based, um, bingo challenge that we're currently conducting as part of national cybersecurity awareness month you know i think one of the things that i have learned even just in the last couple of months is that most organizations have a talent 
and a learning and professional development team that, again, doesn't get enough credit for the work that they do. They and, and and I've also found that a lot of people in organizations don't under don't even know of the of the resources that as an employee are free to you because your employer is paying for them. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things the, the example I'll give you, I had a call with somebody at my organization um, last week where I was talking about the fact that we leverage uh, LinkedIn Learning. Mm. He, he had no idea that we had LinkedIn Learning, and you know, was 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 kind of blown away when he heard that we had it. And it's indicative. I've heard this over and over at organizations that I'm at. The people had no idea the material, the the the, the resources available to them. Um, a lot of organizations have educational assistance programs where they'll give mm-hmm. you they'll they'll reimburse you for 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 college courses um or you know a lot of organizations have have a training budget of some sort where they will send you to training um you know i've been i have been at organizations where just by virtue of being an employee you were guaranteed a set amount of money a year to go to a training of your choice, obviously job job relevant. You're not going to get to mm-hmm. you know, you're in cyber. You're not going to get to go to you know how to drive my car really really fast, <laughs> um, yeah. um, unless you work for one of the three letter agencies in the DC area, and then they'll train <laughs> you on how to drive really really fast uh, for free. Um, <laughs> allegedly this is what i've heard from people in the industry i have no no uh official word on this that they will actually do that but uh i've heard stories let's just put it that way um but but i think again i think i think taking advantage of the resources you have available to you i mean the internet is a treasure trove of information linkedin learning and and I mean, I look at my LinkedIn feed and I've, I see people within my LinkedIn learn my LinkedIn feed sharing resources that they've got, that they found that are free and low cost. You know, I think of, a, I think of somebody, I, I, you know, I think of the people that I look at in my, in my LinkedIn feed, uh, you know, people like, you know, uh, I follow somebody, uh, uh, a woman by the name of Tracy Osborne, who, uh, has posted recently on on a number of free and, and low cost available items. Um, you know, people like Gerald Auger who Augler who are putting out um, you know twenty thirty dollar courses. People like uh, or organizations like um, Black Hills Information uh, and and um, John Strand who put out the you know pay what you can kind of stuff. You know, there, there's so many resources available to people wanting to learn more. Um, I mean, most of the tools even that are out there have free or low cost training available on how to do them, uh, or, you know, on how to use their tools or on concepts mm-hmm. related to their tools. Um, 
Microsoft, AWS, all the big ones make their trainings largely available for free. So there's no excuse, I think, for not being able to learn something new every day and every hour and every minute because there are, you know, if I showed you the list that I've got on my computer right now of courses and materials and websites I want to take trainings in and, you know, the upcoming Microsoft training days and materials that are, that are out there. I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy. The amount of stuff, like I'm trying to figure out when am I going to do, when I'm going to do it all. And I will, it's just a matter of when. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you talk about the plethora of resources and I think that's huge. I mean, in any industry, I think that we all can utilize um, those free resources. And you also talked about your organization having a focus too and having, you know, organization focus on the resources, employees not even knowing some of the resources. Um, and, and talk about some of that, like, do you guys utilize anything like uh, like a poor side or a cyber, like anything like that, where you guys have something um, that you guys use as a training platform for your employees, or it's more so like a LinkedIn learning kind of thing? No, we do we do, we do leverage training platforms like you've mentioned, and when I say LinkedIn learning, I'm actually talking about the LinkedIn learning um, my um module that exists or uh, interface that exists, which is a separate kind of thing that you can get within LinkedIn that, you know, you have people, you have people out there, you know, the, the Jarek Benson's and the, you know, the others that, that are out there really mm -hmm. training people, you know, putting together, taking time to put together videos on things uh, to talk about topics of relevance. Uh, you know, I, I was telling our talent team the other day, you know, that my opinion, I, I've come to the to the conclusion that between that that LinkedIn Learning and the modules available with the training within LinkedIn Learning is now becoming the new YouTube of uh, uh, yes training because there's <laughs> literally nothing you can't find in the LinkedIn Learning training catalog, and they are constantly on an almost daily basis. I feel like adding new, new content and new material. So I think between LinkedIn learning and YouTube, if it, you know, I, I've always joked, you know, kind of semi, semi jokingly said, if, you know, if, if you can't find a video on YouTube, it's not possible to do it. Like it's, and I'm not talking like it's not possible. It's not like it is, <laughs> it is physically not something that can be done if you can't find somebody on YouTube explaining how to do it, um, you know? So I think, I think there's that aspect of things that is so, um, you know, so important. And, you know, people, I, I see people talking on my LinkedIn feed about how do you break into cyber? How do I get into cyber? I want to transition into cyber. I think it's, if you want to transition into anything, whether it's, you know, you want to go from being, you know, a doctor to being a, a real estate agent, you know, you got to be willing to put in the hours to learn, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, th I think back to the, you know, to kind of the, 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 and I know this one is, is, is 
a bit politically charged, or I've seen recently some some chats about whether it's you know whether it's truly a, a, a case, but I feel like it really is. Is the ten thousand hours rule? You know, the Malcolm Gladwell kind of you you have to spend ten thousand hours in order to become an expert in something, and I think you know yeah that sounds scary, but if you're gonna if you you know you're gonna spend the majority of your adult life working. I mean, that that's just kind of, you know, the reality. Unless you win the lottery. Unless you win the lottery. Unless you become a major major professional athlete who only has to play for two or three years and and make multi-million dollar contracts. If you get... You know, if you get lucky and you get called up and you get the Nike deal out and out out, out, of, <laughs> out of the blue, awesome. You know, great. Congratulations. If you win the lotto, um, I'll send you my bank out bank account information. I don't even really care at this point. It, uh, if 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 I'm disclosing personal information because as long as I get a little bit of the winnings, I'm I'm good. Um, but the reality is, you've got to. Own, own it you've got to be will you've got to put in the effort because you will get you know one of the things i've learned in the industry that i'm in is you get out of it what you put into it i i you know i find that you know i've i've, I've found that even recently as i've gotten tried to build more of my own kind of personal presence and professional presence you know, on LinkedIn or, you know, in, in, in the industry is that Mm -hmm. the more I put into that, the more I get out of it. Maybe I meet somebody who I wouldn't have met otherwise, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe as I'm, you know, conducting and starting to frame my doctoral research, I I come across somebody, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate that I talk about it and somebody in my, my industry um, or somebody in my network tells shares a resource with me that I wouldn't or a topic with me that I otherwise wouldn't have thought of and you know in this case I'm uh, you know I'm talking to uh to to Dutch Schwartz from AWS who pointed me towards uh the topic a, a topic and a author who I would not probably have otherwise come across as as easily as I did had it not been for him pushing me in that direction um so Again, I think it's it's you get what you put you get out of things what you put into them. Yeah, that's great stuff. I love that. And you know, you talk about we. I think the theme of this podcast has been you know curiosity, willingness to learn, uh, being open. So just talk about you know yourself as a leader, and you know where was it for you? Uh, where do you think it was for you? Where you made that turning point from individual contributor to stepping into a leadership role uh, in the cybersecurity space. That's, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I think, I think certainly from a, a individual contributor to, to leadership role, it was, you know, from a, from a practical standpoint, um, it's been an evolution and it was, you know, it wasn't like there was this, you know, it, it just happened that I get to a role like the role that I'm in currently where I am less of an individual contributor. It's been hard, certainly been hard for me. It's one of the things that I routinely am talking with my boss about, which is, 
you know, I need to, I, I need to get more hands off. I, you know, I need to, I need to trust my team. I need to delegate more. Yeah. You know, I need to not do the work for them. I need to, you know, let them learn. And it's been a challenge. I, I you know, I don't know that I've, I, I've, I've gotten to the point where I've crossed that corner and I don't know that I ever will fully because I think it's, it is important and there is value in keeping abreast and keeping, you know, as close to the keyboard as you can. I'm always tinkering at home. I'm always, you know, I, I, I like probably many others in the industry maintain a, in my own personal uh, AWS environment, my own personal Azure environment, you know, um, in order to continually uh, test things or, you know, go learn something new or, you know, see if this bug that I encountered over here actually you know, apply it actually occurs over there, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think again, it goes back to the whole VCR thing. You know, I, I don't know that I'll ever stop taking apart the VCR. Uh, for the, I, I should pause for a moment and, and, and remind and say for those of you who are too young to remember or to have <laughs> any idea what a VCR is, like my, like my 10 year old son who we, spent the other night explaining what Blockbuster was to. Um, Google is your friend. YouTube is your friend. Go learn a little something about technology prior to when you were born uh, because it's important. Um, I love that. But, but that being, you know, that being said, I think, you know, for me, for me, I think as a leader, what I've learned more than anything is the journey. It's it, it, the journey never ends. You never get to a point where, as a leader, you're going to be able to say, "I've reached the end," because it's always a journey. Now, I you know, I also, I also, and I've been talking with a couple of people about this recently. I think one of the things that happens more and more as you become more well known in your industry and as you become closer to that you know what you've called leader title uh is you struggle with a lot more imposter syndrome than i think <laughs> you do even as a newbie because when you're new you know when you're new to the industry you think you know everything or you think oh i'm gonna learn everything i can i'm gonna knock this out of the park and it's you know it's what's known as the dunning kruger effect i mean you literally you literally believe false have a false sense of belief a bias to believe that you know everything i think mm -hmm. when you get when you get further in your career you get to the point where you start to realize that you know as, as we joke in, amongst uh the leadership team at uh within information security at world fuel the more i know the less i know yes you know? <laughs> um the you know because the more you realize the extent to which things work within your industry or within anything, the more questions it brings. You know, I go back again to the VCR example. You know, yeah, I understand. I understood the you know at at, at a at a conceptual level. I put the VCR. I put the, the tape inside the VCR. I push the button. It runs the it runs the spool and it, yes. and it plays the plays the tape. When you take it apart, you realize oh, there's this transistor over here that 
And what does this thing over here do? And what does that thing over there do? And what is this thing, how does this thing connect to this? And it, it, it raises a whole bunch of questions. So I think, you know, the more you learn about something, the more you realize you know nothing about that topic. And, you know, I, I was fortunate very early on in my career to, to, be t to have a, a mentor who took me to a, a, a big uh, electronic discovery and digital forensics conference um, known as Legal Tech in New York. And I got to see how small of a cog I was in a much larger thing, <laughs> a much larger uh, arena and, and entity and organization and, and, and industry. And, you know, I think those opportunities are really great. Um, I, I was unfortunately due to the, the weather, unable to go to InfoSec World in Orlando. But I'll tell you that, you know, if you get the opportunity to go to an InfoSec World or ISC Squared's Security Congress that just wrapped up this week or RSA Conference in San Francisco or any of the other plethora of conferences that are out there, you will quickly realize that you are probably not the smartest person in the room and that's perfectly okay. I definitely, and I, I've, I've spoken with others about this, I definitely subscribe to the mentality that if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. I love that. And you talk about the conferences. Um, have you, obviously, would travel back up? Um, have you got to go any recently? Um, and... And what do you enjoy, Mouse? Obviously, you, we all have, you know, the day-to-day -day and, and kind of, um, but isn't it exciting to go out and be at these conferences? And how many have you done um, recently? Yeah, so recent, the most recent one, I went to the ISACA Governance Risk and Compliance Conference in Orlando in August. I was fortunate to get to speak there. And I'm fortunate awesome. that right now I'm at a point in my career and, and my academics that I'm able to present more because I've got topics that are compelling. Um, and I've been very fortunate to have people um, within, within these organizations take chances on me. And I'm going to, I'm going to shout out, you know, Paul Phillips from ISACA, who's given me opportunities, Chelsea Bird from ISACA, who's given me opportunities, um, you know, uh, Julie Gajewski from the Third Party Risk Risk Association, who gave me a chance that I'm going to be able to speak on Monday. Other places, but you know, I find the conferences to be invaluable for me, both personally and professionally. Um, I, like many in the in, in the information security industry, am primarily introverted. Um, usually, very much an introvert. But when I get passionate about something like information security, like cybersecurity, like governance, risk, and compliance, like cognitive <laughs> bias in risk decision-making, I, when I get passionate about those types of things, the introvert in me goes away. And I feel like going to these conferences, I always come away learning something new. I always come away energized. I always come away feeling a sense of community, but also a sense of the fact that there's so much more to learn that I'm never going to be bored. I should never be sitting around going, 
what should I learn about now? Because, it, you know, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, if I ever get to a point where the list of trainings I want to take is empty, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to tender my resignation and I'm going to leave the industry and I'm going to go, go sit on the beach somewhere and do whatever because uh, it means that I've reached the end of my career and the end of my usefulness in the career, in my career. Um, I've lost my passion at that point because there is no limit to the number, the amount of education and learning and curiosity that you can show in an industry like information security. Of course, uh, Dustin, I really appreciate you coming on the pod. I'm sure we continue this conversation. Obviously, it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so appreciate you taking out of your uh, time out of your day uh, to come on the pod. It was really uh, great and got to chat a bit. So yeah, absolutely. The- absolutely. And I think anybody, anybody who wants to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn. Um, very easy to find on LinkedIn. I'm usually posting pretty often, but yeah, definitely want to, would love to continue the conversation. Uh, if you see me at a conference, come up and tell me you, you heard, you heard, from me on uh, Adam's podcast. And if you're not subscribed and following Adam's podcast, you absolutely should be. All right, Dustin, it was a pleasure and thanks for joining. Thank you.